Let's pray. Heavenly Father, teach us about faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Anxiety is normal, at least some of it. Emotions are not bad, at least not all of them. Anger, not always a sin. Doubt, not always bad. Oh, fear can keep you from dying, and it can keep you from living. Worry rarely does anyone any good. Being challenged, by the way, can actually help us perform at a much higher level once we get past any of the anger, fear, or doubt issues. There is this thing in our brain called the limbic system. It processes our emotions. It only has two options, on or off. Um, We're either safe or we're not safe. And when the limbic system decides that we are afraid, attacked, worried, loved, encouraged, or challenged, well, its job is done. And it's supposed to make a handoff to the cortex, which decides what to do next. Anxiety comes from events that are deeply personal and very close to home. Or they come from a far more generic, the world is going to Duluth in a handbasket. No offense to people that are from Duluth. Because we don't always know whether it's the cortex or the limbic system that we're talking to, our anxiety can fool us into thinking that we're actually thinking when all we're really doing is reacting Those are the moments when we think something is true. We don't know why it's true, and and we're not even sure how we came about knowing that it was true, but we're sure it's true, and and we will defend our new truth no matter what the case. The limbic system started screaming. It assigned a bunch of emotions, but the cortex didn't take the handoff. So we're spinning out of control, and we need some help. For the second week in a row, I substituted the psalm for the Old Testament lesson. Last week, the psalm was just better fitting for the flow, for the message I was preaching. This week, I'll be honest, uh, the Old Testament lesson was scary. The Israelites have been out in the desert for almost 40 years, meaning it's almost time to finally go into the promised land. Moses is about to die, and, and so he begins preaching a series of best of sermons so that everybody remembers everything that God said over the past 40 years. It was uh, chapter after chapter of don't do this and make sure you do do this. And in the middle of it all, the teachings and reteachings, the people start to get restless, and a bunch of them start to nod off, and they start to complain. And that's when Moses says, do you remember the day you demanded that God speak through a pastor because you were afraid of him? In fact, you were afraid that if you were in his presence, you would die? Well, here's the choice. Either I get to do this sermon series or God is going to come down and remember that. And then Moses goes on with, oh, and by the way, if someone pretends to be a prophet, and they aren't, they must die. That was the scary part. So if you walked into church, and I wasn't here, but instead there was this burning bush in front of the altar, and and it was burning, but it was not burning up, and suddenly a bush began to speak, and it said, take off your shoes because you're on holy ground. How would you react? What if an angel showed up? By the way, I'm not talking about one of the pretty ones, you know, with blonde hair and all those muscles. No, no, I'm talking about biblical angels, the the cherubim, which Ezekiel says has four faces, an eagle, a human, an ox, and a lion, straight legs, four wings, and bull hooves at the bottom of those straight legs. Or how about the ophanim, whose entire bodies are covered with eyes, including their four wheels? Yeah, and suddenly you go, their four wheels? Oh, and how about seraphim? whose name actually means fiery ones. Way back in Deuteronomy 5, at the beginning of their wilderness journey, God showed up to talk to the people, but his voice was like thunder, and and his aura 
was like an all-consuming fire. It, it's no wonder the people said, you know what, Moses, you go talk to God. We'll just stay right here and wait until you come back, if you come back. I've never been visited by an angel that I know of. No burning bushes, no pillars of cloud, of fire either. And yet sometimes I'm still afraid to talk to God, to, to pour out my heart, to tell him what's really going on. It'd be easier. So much easier if God had an email address or a phone number that we could just text or email to and say, hey, God, these are the things I'm thinking about. Because then, then it, it, it's, it's impersonal. Like the Israelites, there really isn't a reason for me to be afraid of God, but I still occasionally get anxious. The limbic system in the cortex, not communicating. I've been pastor of our Savior for about three years. I makes me would have been about 32 years old when I learned a very important lesson. You see, when your life is going pretty good, there is this feeling, it's that whole limbic system again, that says that you don't need to bother God because you've got this. In other words, you can do just fine. But when things go sideways, and I mean really, really sideways, and you really, really need God, and the limbic system runs out of labels for all those emotions that you are feeling, it's not good. You see, I'd let my relationship with God slide. Oh, I gave him a quick peck on the cheek in the morning as I left for work, and I always said a quick prayer before I ate and before I went to bed. Because you see, even after moving to Hawaii and all the changes that took place and having two children born and learning how to be a pastor, I had kept my head far enough above, above water that I was never in danger of drowning until it wasn't and I wasn't. Now, there was no giant fish ready to swallow me, which meant I had to come dog paddling back to God and tell him I was sorry and ask for his help. And even though I was a pastor, there was this gnawing feeling in the back of my head that was so afraid that he was going to say, well, nanny, nanny, boo-boo, you should have loved me better. You're just going to have to figure it out on your own. Karen Bowen came up with the term anxiety binders as part of their book on mental health. When we get anxious, which is an emotion, the limbic system is supposed to hand our anxiety over to our cortex for processing so that we can both feel and think. Our emotions are a physical release system. But the thinking part helps us process our emotions, move through our feelings, so that we can actually begin to deal with whatever it is that's causing the anxiety. Now, emotions react, but we cannot stay in a reactive state. It's not healthy. Human nature often avoids the whole thinking thing, though, putting the cortex on hold, and instead binds our anxiety to something so that we can ignore the problem and pretend that everything is okay. We bind ourselves to exercise, food, drugs, work, or about a million other things. Some of these binders are healthy, like exercise, except the brain never forgets what we're anxious about, and so the underlying anxiety is still there. We just repressed it, which means no matter how healthy our bodies are because of all of that um, exercise, our mind is still a mess, which, by the way, eventually begins to tear the body apart. In our gospel lesson today, Jesus is in the synagogue preaching away when a man with an unclean spirit comes in and sits down. I know what you're thinking. Why would a demon-possessed person show up at church? It actually makes sense. We'll get to that in a moment. In the middle of the sermon, the guy screams, So what do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come here to destroy us? If you've been around a while, you know that my personal demon is named, well, Little Bunny Fufu. Because it's hard not to laugh when you say that, which means it helps me not be afraid of Little Bunny Fufu. 
The Bible says that we have guardian angels, Psalm 91, Exodus 32, among other places. But we also have personal demons, demons that the devil sent into our lives to push our buttons. Now, God says we don't need to be afraid of them because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. You know, but when somebody says, I must have been out of my mind, I, I know exactly what they mean. The limbic system pushed out all sorts of emotions, and the cortex didn't take the handoff. So even when we are out of our mind, there is still a cortex and a soul, though. It doesn't matter how many emotions are running through our head or how many binders that we are using in order to distract us. There is still eternity and God's law that's written in our heart and soul. That is why the demon-possessed man walked into church during Jesus' sermon. Somewhere in the midst of all those emotions, the cortex and the soul led this man to Jesus. Especially over the past 10 years, we have had far more individuals with mental health struggles show up on Sundays and other days. We aren't perfect at screening which ones we can help and which ones we can't, but we've partnered with some very experienced individuals who are helping us to figure it out. Most of our visitors immediately hold out their hand and say, I need money. Give it to me right now. Hmm. Always usually starts off with a little bit. I, I just need a little bit of money. But if you've ever read, if you give a mouse a cookie or if you give a moose a muffin, you know it doesn't stay that way. So we refer them to Hawaii Food Bank or to River of Life. Very, very few actually go. Most of them get indignant, uh, very indignant. And they say, I thought you were the church. I thought you were supposed to help people. We've had to develop tough skin because the easy thing is to give in, to give them whatever they're asking for. See, that way we don't have to feel guilty. After all, Jesus said, you know, if you give somebody a cup of cold water in my name, well, it'll never be forgotten. Except money isn't going to help them. In fact, it's just going to keep hurting them because they have bound themselves to helplessness, which, by the way, will eventually destroy them if they don't get turned around. And if we aren't careful, what we're doing is we're binding ourselves to helping even though our helping is actually hurting them. It's why St. Paul says, I, I really can't cause my brother or sister to stumble. I love the question the unclean person asks. So what do you have to do with this, Jesus? If I was Jesus, I would have responded, look, you're the one who showed up and interrupted in the middle of my sermon. What do you want with me? But Jesus is God, so he already knows what the man wants. Have you ever asked God, what do you want from me? I, I, I have. I, by the way, I already knew the answer, but I was kind of hoping that God would change it. Because you see, when I'm asking it, it means I'm trying to avoid something. I was kind of hoping that God would say, you know what? You don't need to go to church. <laughs> you don't have to go to Nineveh. You don't have to keep that commandment. You don't have to forgive your enemy. In fact, you don't have to do anything that you don't want to do, and I will still save you. Here is where we need to note the asking of the question is important in and of itself. We ask because part of us already knows the answer. And even though we are fighting through all of the emotions and the fears and the anxiety, we know we have to deal with whatever that we've been avoiding. And we know with God, by the way, we know exactly what he expects. Asking the question, especially out loud, means something inside us is trying to take us to the only one who can actually Questions matter, especially when they are about our faith or about God or about our behavior or about heaven or about hell or about our neighbor. We all need to stop once in a while and just think, putting all the emotions in a box for a few minutes, <laughs> unbinding all those anxieties that we bound up, and let God work in and through his word and spirit to help us figure out 
what's really going on, what we really need, where we need to go in order to get healed. I think we are especially going to need those deep breath moments over the next few months with all the garbage that's going to be thrown at us, especially from the political arena. You see, we need to make sure that we remain first and foremost followers of Jesus in whatever that we think or say or do. We need the cortex to take the hand off so that we aren't running around solely on emotions, literally out of our mind at times, over things that we have no control over. We also need to place in the hands of God anything that we can't handle. But then we also need to pray for the strength, the power, and the courage to take care of the things that we actually can do something about. Now, Jesus, by the way, in our gospel, had obviously never seen Mission Impossible or any of the TV shows, you know, about detectives and crime drama. Because in all of those, of course, both the good guy and the bad guy always spend hours explaining everything they're going to do before they actually ever do it. Jesus doesn't wait. He just says, quiet, get out of him. And the demon leaves. If I had chosen today's lessons, as enlightening as 1 Corinthians 8 is, I actually would have replaced it with Philippians chapter 4. This is where it says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whether you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Quiet, come out of him. And the one who had been tormented, who was out of his mind because the demon had locked him out of his own mind, was suddenly whole and thinking again. And he realized that the God of peace had never left him, no matter what he had done or not done. You see, we have a Savior who was betrayed, bound, beaten, whipped, and abandoned. The Lenten journey, by the way, is coming all too quickly. We've just got a couple of weeks. But if you want a simple explanation as to why we go through those 40 days, year after year after year, well, you find it in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, where it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tested in every way as we are, yet is without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us at the proper time. I know that that was the prayer of the man that was afflicted by that demon. Whether he ever was able to speak it out loud or not, that was what his soul was working for. Jesus knows about threats and trauma, fear, anxiety, hatred, isolation, and all the other things that cause our limbic system to go into overdrive. Yet he never once was out of his mind. Was he angry? Yeah. Was he tempted? Yep. Did he ask tough, tough questions? A lot of times. But each time he found his answer in the promise and in the presence of his Father. Jesus frees us to be honest about our fragility, our anxieties, our unhealthy bindings. We can speak the truth of our failures and losses. And if we want to know where such speakings and confessions will take us, well, they're going to take us to a cross and a tomb. And that is often why we are afraid and anxious. We don't want to die. We don't want to be buried in a tomb. But dying to our sins and failures because of Jesus isn't forever. You see, once inside the tomb, we actually find that there's a way out. Following Jesus who bids us to walk with him back into the light of life so that we can live a life of grace and mercy and be freed from all the anxiety and fears. Whatever you have bound yourself to, whatever the world has bound you to, 
Jesus speaks words of peace. I'm going to close with the words from Psalm 111, our Old Testament lesson. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, now the word fear has a double meaning. It can mean being afraid of something, absolutely afraid of something. But it can also be something, or in this case, a someone, who we have come to know is exactly what we need. And so in a very real sense, our fear makes us unafraid. Because when we're in the presence of God, we know that everything's taken care of. The first kind of fear is often how the limbic system reacts, all those emotions. The second kind of fear, by the power of God's word and spirit, leads us to the door of God's heart. But only when we stop running around wildly out of our mind do we notice that the door to God's heart is open. In fact, it's always been open. And that's when we get to walk right through. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.